Uh, welcome to Aviation United by Aviation Zorro. I'm delighted to be chatting with educator, speaker, entrepreneur, one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women, and founder and CEO of Skills Camp, Bailey Parnell. A very good day, Bailey. How are you? I'm doing very well, all things considered right now, and I'm happy to be here. And you're in Canada at the moment, is that correct? I am, yes. I'm in Toronto, Canada, uh, right downtown, and it's a beautiful day here. So hopefully I can get outside at some point. Excellent. What we'll do is we will, we'll get started. Um, generally, so thanks for joining me today. So you can tell your, our listeners a little bit about your background, uh, your TEDx speaker role, and pretty much what motivated you to chat about social media and the impact it might have on mental health. Sure. So one half of my life is that I actually own a soft skills training company called Skills Camp. But uh, before that, I worked full time at Ryerson University in, uh, in Toronto. And in my role at Ryerson University, I was responsible for digital and social marketing for students, you know, largely between 18 to 24. And I was also working within the Department of Student Affairs, which is kind of everything outside the classroom that supports student success in the university, like career centers, health and wellness departments, learning support, all that stuff. And so it was around this time, which must have been starting in 2015 now, uh, where we were starting to see these news articles come out saying, you know, there might be an issue, social media might be causing a decline in mental health, youth should watch out, really, like, they did sound this dramatic as well. Right. And um, at the very same time, you know, this is pre-Snapchat pre popping off, they're just starting to get big, no TikTok yet, Instagram's only, you know, been around for a few years at this point, so we're starting to see this research come out, and again, I'm there, the person telling youth to be on social media with me. Right. So it was sort of my responsibility being a staff member at the university and of course working, you know, with health and wellness to make sure that, wait a second, if we're going to be asking and, and encouraging frequently all these students to come hang out on social media with us and follow us here and participate, we need... I have a responsibility to make sure that they can do it safely. And so um, that happened just before I went on this vacation, which is actually one of the opening stories of the TED Talk. Yes. Um, it was around this time where I myself went on a four-day no-work vacation. And at that point, it had been almost four years since I had gone completely dark, not connected to email or social media. Oh, wow. And okay. And I myself on this trip experienced what I would now call fast forward after all of these years of research, <laughs> I would now call signs of addiction and certainly experiencing withdrawals. So my own issues with social media, they were actually less about comparison, just my particular, um, even though that's probably most prominent with my students. Um, my issues were being, were having mindless addictive patterns, right. essentially like not even paying attention to the fact how much I was picking it up until it wasn't there. And so all this together um, was kind of telling me I'm the person, and this is what I say in the Ted talk, like I, I'm technically, you know, if you were to ask anybody in society who should know the most about this, it should have been me. It should be people I was working in it. It was my profession. It's what I studied. And I personally was active on social media. So I kind of felt if I don't know this, then certainly the people around me do not know this. And that's kind of what led me to the initial uh, professional research at Ryerson 
And then because I was doing professional research, so um, just getting, I guess, a little bit technical, but um, as Go a ahead. staff member, no, not actually like, so at that time for, for well over a year, I had, we had already been doing research as staff members, not actually as master or a doctoral candidates. And so because I was already doing that research, I kind of thought, well, if I'm going to be doing this anyways, I may as well get a degree out of it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what actually led me to go get the master's. And, right. um, and Money I well spent. Some- <laughs> exactly, because I already knew that I already knew for sure I was very interested in this. People need to know about this. I can see that the effects on the people and especially the students around me are becoming more and more drastic um, and and no one really knows what to do and so that's just kind of snowballed and snowballed and it was actually my, my academic life has always kind of been catching up with my professional life right so what what is the positive and negative stem with social media or is, or is it generally all bad no it's definitely not all bad and that's a funny thing because i have to say i was right there with most people when i first started the masters and especially when i when i just mentioned those news articles that were saying everything was about you know, this is causing depression, this is this is not going to be good. And so, of course, when I went into the master's, I thought I would actually find a more direct correlation between time on social media and rising levels of anxiety and depression. As in when I went and did um, literature reviews and looked at everything that was out there about this topic possibly, looked into all their studies, read through every single piece of literature you can think of right. at the time. And what I actually found was no consistency in the research and some people said yep there's an issue here uh, it's not good some people said actually there's no statistical relevance we can't really talk about this we a lot of them even said uh, we don't know the direction of the correlation so they said um, uh, what that means is we we see a correlation but we don't know the direction do people who use social media do they show more depressive symptoms or do depressed people use social media more as a way to cope? Right. So they said they self-admitted, we don't know the direction. And then, and then a whole other group of people that you don't see in the news was people who said, actually, we have instances of social media improving the mental health of our participants. And so that really motivated me because all of the research was quantitative and I felt what I could offer was qualitative and really digging deep into um, the experiences, again, that I myself experienced because I I have a lot of good time on social media and I get a lot of benefits from it personally and professionally. What I wanted to investigate was, you know, what's happening? At what point does it go bad or good? And, And how can we make it so that you are more likely to get the good the good side of it to get those benefits with less of those risks. And that's exactly what practicing safe social is. Right. So why is it that we're always wondering what's on our phone? Like we're looking at other people's profiles. Is it because, is it, is it like a no, nosy behavior? Is it just because we're, we're human? Yeah. We want to see what the next person's doing that maybe, yeah. you know, we could do the same thing. Yeah, I think so. I think that it is actually funny enough, very human. And it's funny that uh, you word it that way because I often talk about how, the tech is designed to keep you there. I mean, that it's, it doesn't, it's not a shocking statement to me. It's more of like a, of course, obviously these are businesses that we're talking about here and it's in their best interest that you keep coming back because if it's free for you, then you're the product and they are selling your eyes. And so they do want to keep you coming back. However, if you want to get even more kind of uh, human nature, 
<laughs> my research is actually based on this theory called social comparison theory. And it's this idea that people compare themselves as a means of understanding our identity and that it is an extremely normal human thing. And that that doesn't even need to be a comparison like, you know, who's prettier, which happens a lot on social media, but uh, it could even be, you know, I know that I'm a tall person because I look around and most people are shorter than me. Therefore, I know that I must be taller. That informs my identity as a tall person. And that kind of comparison is is the idea that humans do that all the time. So even at the beginning of Facebook, do you remember when Facebook profiles you would log on and you would go straight to your profile? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yes. So the, the reason why Facebook changed was because they realized that the way people naturally used it was they were spending 1% of their time on their own profile and 99% of the time bouncing around everybody else's. So they collected all of that into one feed when you first log on because people are naturally curious. They do want to know about other people's lives. They do want to compare. So that's normal. I, what I will say is that's been happening long before social media. It's just happening at an elevated rate now and right. you're able to follow, you're not able to turn it off. It's quantified and, um, and you're able to follow people who are much closer to you or even much closer to what you want to be. And, and that actually also elevates and amplifies the comparison. Right. So then if, if from an aviation point of view, um, the background that I'm in, and generally we get a lot of messages from and emails from aviation professionals, probably like in all industries, where they'll see, say, videos or images of pilots or, or air crew or engineers, and uh, they're in their uniform, as you mentioned before, and they're on a layover, and everything looks really cool. So mm -hmm. the perception is then from the person on their phone looking at this, they think, wow, how exciting is this? Like, you know, but is this, is this real life, or are we just all are we playing pretend? Is it for attention and money? Or what, what do you think? Well, do you mean like, are the pilots posting on their Instagram for attention and money? Yeah, generally, I think what it is, is that you'll see a lot of, say, on Instagram or, or, or Facebook, where um, everybody's kind of very, they're very glamorous looking. They'll, they'll be on the beach after maybe a, a 10 or 11 hour flight and are looking wonderful. And they have the beautiful, yeah. <laughs> the beautiful surroundings of the beach and the sea in the background. Yeah. And as, 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 as an individual looking at that, you go, wow, isn't that amazing? But is that, mm -hmm. is that reality or is it just pretend? Well, I think that you would probably know better the lifestyle of a pilot. But I, what I would say is that if you're looking at that as someone who's been one and you're saying, you know, that gets to happen 1% of the time and that doesn't happen the vast majority of the job that you get actually time to go spend on the beach yeah. and look great, <laughs> then um, I, I would say that that's like every other profession as well because people are only posting the best and brightest of their moments. Of course, that makes, you know, that's what I talk about in the TED Talk as well, which is called the highlight reel. And, and as a personal self and as a professional self, posting the moments that we believe are noteworthy, that we believe are special in some way. So of course you're not going to post the 99% of time where you're sitting there in front of a computer because that's not noteworthy for you. Yes. But then when you're following someone, of course you, you really need to understand this concept or else you are going to enter the, what I believe really to be just a natural brain function, which is how does this compare to my life? 
And if you're there constantly saying, well, that's not, you know, how come I don't look like that? Or I don't have friends or all this sorts of stuff. Then you need to realize that for probably one for the most of the time, they probably don't look like that either. Yes. <laughs> and, and, um, and two, um, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> like kind of sounds a bit harsh to say it in those words, but I, the absolute most important finding from my research. And when we at, when we talk about what made it a good or bad experience, even if you were following people you look up to. So let me give you some context. There's this, uh, Another part of social comparison theory is the idea of directional comparison. So imagine upward comparison, like you look up to someone and you deem them better than you. Yes. And downward comparison, imagine looking down on someone and you deem them worse off than you. And then neutral comparison is I make a judgment and I decide that we're on the same playing field for whatever reason. So though... Um, there were actually instances both of upward comparison, so deeming that person better than you, which which a lot of people would, might inherently, their gut might say, oh yeah, that seems like a, a sad and negative experience. Yes. And actually, and actually, there was two different reactions to upward comparison. And what was happening was, and I can totally relate to this because I actually really like to follow people like them, like those pilots or um, travel bloggers or fashion bloggers. I'm not naturally style, stylish, so they show me what to do. Right. And travel <laughs> bloggers kind of show me different places of the world. But when I see that, I don't, I don't inherently, my, my first reaction, um, I'm glad to say, is actually not, I wish I had that life, but it actually motivates me. Right. I find it very motivating to say like, I want to get there too. What do I have to go do offline to get there? And in my participants, that was the same reaction. Some of them saw the same piece of content from the same person. And what was so interesting was that they could see, you know, let's say pretend it was a fitness model. And they said, they would say something almost exactly like, well, if I went to the gym that day and I feel good, then I see them and I think, you know, hashtag goals. But if I didn't go to the gym and I feel dusty or like trash, I see them and think I hate my life. So what they were saying was actually super insightful because they're saying it didn't like what it doesn't matter what the content is. It didn't even matter about the poster because the same person would look at the same piece of content differently in two different hours based on how they were feeling offline. Right. That's really key because that means that how you are and who you are and how you view yourself and what you have going for yourself is the most important thing, period. And that will change your whole social media experience, even if you do nothing to your feeds, though I think you should do that too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so generally then, so how do we, I know, I know we mentioned there, or we chatted about, you know, there's a pros and cons of social media, but if somebody is trying to get off social media and they want to spend more time, you know, face-to-face -face on a personal level with somebody, have a normal chat, I don't know about yourself, but in Ireland uh, many years ago, it was quite simple mm -hmm. that if you're on a bus or a train, you could actually start a conversation with somebody sitting beside you or across the seat. But now it's kind of, you come across as a bit of a, you know, a strange individual. If you start oh yeah, that. for sure. Um, you, know, you know what I mean? So how, sure. how, how do you do that now? I mean, if, 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 if you were to say to somebody, okay, get off social media, what would you recommend? Well, I wouldn't say that to somebody first off, <laughs> because I actually part of a whole motivator for the whole organization of Safe Social is uh, that 
I, when I work with students and I see what they're taught in schools, especially young people in particular, I, we say, you know, use social media for personal branding. Even if you, even if you decide you don't want to be on it anymore, it's still going to inform your news. It's still going to be trending. It's still going to be people are talking about what's happening there and you're not going to know what's happening. Even if you are completely off of it, it is still going to enter your life. That's how much it is a part of culture. So what I would say is that there are a lot of benefits here for every kind of person, professional, personal, learning. You don't even have to follow people you know. Like you can you can just get pure inspiration, pure laughs. And I would say you don't have to get off <laughs> if you don't want to. And that's where um, it, it can be a different experience. And I'm telling youth today, I really don't think that they can be off without consequence. Like there is going to be a consequence when an employer searches you and they find nothing. Right. That That is already happening. So it's like, that's why I think that the whole motivator of Safe Social is to say, if abstinence without consequence is not an option for you, how do you practice Safe Social? However, so if you do, sorry, if you go, do sorry, want to completely get off, if you do want to completely get off, you're just going to have to recognize the uh, consequences ahead of time and plan for it. You will be out of the loop. Are you okay with that? Um, are you going to replace your connection in other ways? Are you going to be sad that nobody reaches out to you? Because that happens a lot. Right. So you mentioned there with regards to companies. I wasn't aware of that. So companies will do a search on your social media background. Is that what they, they try and do now? Or is that the norm? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, for sure. Even a few years ago, I remember reading a LinkedIn stat that said 96% of employers will search you on Google first. Wow. I do for sure. Oh, you do? Oh my word. Oh, <laughs> when dear. I hire, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the thing is when I'm doing personal branding or job search or interviewing through my skills camp life, um, I do tell students like I absolutely search you. Uh, not finding something is not finding anything is also telling me something. So if I don't have anything to find about you, I'm going to make up the story in my head. And I will never say to them like you need to share all your personal life or be on Instagram. But I will say my job is to make you understand potential consequences of not having anything. So of and, and, to, and potential consequences of doing it wrong as well. Right. But, so, um, you know, so like you if you have at least... Somebody, then, what would you recommend? So this is kind of interesting because we weren't going to chat about this, but what would you recommend then <laughs> somebody to have on their social media to make them look very employable or to stand out? I know, that's, that is definitely a separate uh, topic, but yeah. I'm happy to share. <laughs> I would say, like, I would never tell anyone because I know you sometimes you just don't want it um, to have, like, you know, Instagram or something like that or Facebook, but if you can at least have even a LinkedIn that you don't even have to update that much, that's what is good about it is that you, we don't really change jobs and volunteer positions that much. Right. So you can kind of create it once and then change it every so often to update it where at least if I search you then, you're, you're the one telling me how I should be describing you and you're going to describe your skills and your roles better than anybody else. So um, or if you don't want to be on LinkedIn, maybe even just a small personal website that has a bio and you can get these for free now on things like Wix or about.me or Squarespace. So even just some kind of profile where I'm not finding your old Facebook photo that you were tagged in 20 years ago. <laughs> right. 
You'll probably find one of them at me somewhere 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. not, not, not much else. So, I mean, yeah. generally then, if if somebody is, or a company or uh, an employer is trying to find you, say if you had like something on Twitter or a comment on Twitter, would mm. that be a negative thing? Or do they take things like that into account because that's your personal beliefs? Uh, no, they definitely take it into account these days. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like if you had anything, oh, for sure. In fact, I was just talking to someone last week. I was like, with everything going on with... Uh, um, the court of public opinion and cancel culture. Yes. Um, you know, people's tweets are coming up from 15 years ago. Wow. Okay. And, you know, I, I'm not necessarily for that completely. I do think you need to be accountable to the things that you've done, but I also am an educator. I also believe in, in lifelong learning. And I, if I didn't believe that I couldn't do my job. <laughs> so, right. Well, but no, okay. they are absolutely, and I was just talking to someone last week, I was saying, you know, if I were hiring a, an actor for a movie, or if I were hiring a publicly facing role of any kind, even like a marketing, head of marketing for my company, I would be trying to do some kind of background check or some kind of like reputation check online, because it's absolutely, in my opinion, a liability for companies now. Right. <laughs> like it is a liability because I cannot invest $50,000 in onboarding you, training you, teaching you for two years, and then it all blows up because you are actually, were a jerk 10 years ago. <laughs> you know? Oh dear. Are we not allowed to grow just... anymore? Are we not allowed to like make Exactly. Mistakes? So I do have competing, I do have compete. that's why this was kind of just a thought experiment from uh, last week with a friend, you know, saying... <laughs> If I'm if I'm on the company side, I totally understand why in the current reality, it's almost like a liability and or you need to at least check for it. So that's why as a candidate, I always say like go back and check your stuff. Whatever doesn't align with you these days, yeah. clean clean up your feeds. It is still your digital footprint, and we do change. But if you really want to get philosophical, yes, no, I I don't necessarily uh, believe in I guess. I do believe in reform. So I do yes. believe that people can change and I couldn't be an educator if I didn't think people could learn. <laughs> well, that's it. You, you heard it here first from uh, Bailey Parnell, delete everything that's not good. <laughs> I would say delete everything that's not, it's not, you know, in line with what you believe today. And yes. if you, because, because, um, and then hopefully, you know, you've learned in some areas and maybe I, I hope I hope so much that I'm not, you know, that I'm not, I don't have the same level of knowledge or intellect I had at 15. I hope I've grown. <laughs> like, oh, yes. Yes. I hope that I've learned. So everything I was writing then, if it's, if it's the same, I'd be super embarrassed, actually. Yes. Unlike me, I'm always embarrassed. But anyway, um, <laughs> all we can do is try. So generally, but you know what? if you want to, I always say like to people, I also tell my students in personal branding and whatnot or sharing your story online, you can, I'll never tell you what to say, but you need to understand just like offline, the potential consequences of what you do say. Yes. And, and, you know, <laughs> like you need to be held accountable for that. So go ahead, share your political opinions online, but you just take the risk that the person hiring you might not agree with them. That's the risk. Understand the risks, make your decisions. Yes. That's, that's uh Big Brother is watching. Yes, wonderful. I'm going to sleep well tonight. I know. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I know what, yeah, isn't that funny? So, so how can people then, we're, we're trying to get a positive and negative here because sometimes yeah. it's kind of, we, we get kind of, uh, we talk about, you know, people that are trolled or uh, they're being harassed on social media. So how about we do both sides? So the individuals obviously who are being trolled on social media, how can they 
manage this and then the opposite mm-hmm. side for the ones that are actually quite popular because i'm sure the stress is quite high mm-hmm. that all of a sudden you're quite unknown and then you get mm-hmm. very popular how, how do they manage that oh gosh that is some that is a world of its own that's for sure so I would say that I tend to actually, funny enough, see the same problems in when it comes to mental health. I see the same issues, whether you have 50,000 followers or, you know, 200. The mental health concerns I've actually found are the same, which is it doesn't matter if they have 50,000 followers. They're still doing the comparison. They're still wondering why they didn't get as many likes. It's just on a different level. Right. And, uh, and, but I would say if you have, if you're kind of one of those overnight fame stories, you really need to think about your social media right away because it, it also, I suppose it also kind of depends if uh, it's a negative or positive story about you. Yes. <laughs> but but uh, let's see if you just pretend it's positive. Like not everything's negative. You know, maybe you did a good deed and somebody shared it and that story is being picked up by local news. You just never know what's going to go viral. If that happened tomorrow, you know, would you be comfortable with what people would find about you online? That's how I, that's, that is absolutely how I think about my posts day in and day out. Even if it's about my family, I think, you know, people are going to be able to find this in 20 years. So, or, you know, is this me? Like, is this one authentically me, of course, but, but also is this something I want the world being able to see at any time people I don't know anywhere? Yeah. It's, it's, so I have to think about that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it should be a lot of, you know, I'm glad you said it because it should be, it should be a lot of thought. And yeah. then, and I just find that, that there's a lot of, there is a lot of risk on social media that people are giving no thought at all. Right. And that's what concerns me because it's a risky behavior like sex or drugs or alcohol. And we judge a risky behavior in psychology as something where when you expose your, you when you participate, you expose yourself to potential harm. That's it. And we know for sure that you expose yourself to potential harm on social media, depression, anxiety, stress, addiction, um, traumatic imagery, harassment, the list goes on and on. So you absolutely expose yourself to potential harm, which means it's a risky behavior and should be treated that way, which means not thoughtlessly. It should be treated thoughtfully. So do you think then, Bailey, is like the emotion where you might see something, say, on TV or something has happened on social media, for example, and without thinking about it, the individual through emotion decides, well, I'm going to make a comment about that, you know, without the consequences down the road, as, as, as I've already said, you know, companies are looking, people are looking, just, just be aware, take a deep breath, I suppose. Yep. Yep. Exactly. People get heated. In my experience, I have not had good luck changing people's minds on good luck. I've not had good uh, experiences changing people's minds on social media. So it's really just like, a giant, I've heard people call it like a trash can fire, just a, maybe like a shit show. <laughs> but basically, <laughs> if, if they're writing, like there's, and they don't know you and you don't have any history, then it's just going to become a, my opinion, that's your opinion, my opinion. And there's like, no one actually really, I've, I've found few meaningful, transitional, transformative conversations on social media. I mean, with strangers in, in like a news article or something like that. Right. But it's very rare these days, isn't it? Because there is a lot of passion and a lot of emotion out there. Well, I also think that there's this, yes, exactly true. And I, and I think that um, there's this 
blend of digital and online and life that there's this divide that I've found just anecdotally for older generations. Older generations I found seem to very much feel like their online self is, is somehow different than their self. Right. And, and how like, this is just a projection of me or it's something I go do. Whereas if you talk to Gen Z, like social media is life. It just is like, it's not, it's not their life. Like the only thing they do. I don't mean that colloquially. I mean, like it's, there is no online Bailey and offline Bailey. It's just life. Like life includes the online self. It's really hard to describe, but I do think that there's a lot of people who still hide behind their screen, type something they would never say in person and then are shocked that they're held accountable for it. It's like, no, do you, do you think that you could talk to people like that if they were standing in front of you? Of course I'm judging you for talking that way online. It was you who typed it, right? Yes. I, <laughs> so, I, I saw yeah. people, people probably call it like cowardless or, you know, it's, as you said yourself, somebody face to face, if they'd rarely say something to you, but they have that protection, I suppose, behind a, a computer or a phone where they feel they can say as they want. Yeah. And I think that that's like, that's, um, if, if I had kids tomorrow, I would certainly be teaching them to not say anything online that they wouldn't say to someone's face. Really? Yeah. I would like, I, I'm saying that, you know, I haven't, I haven't torn that apart in my head yet. I'm just saying that off the top of my head, really. But as I'm saying it, I'm thinking I would be say, telling them, you know, if you're, if you're not going to say this to this person, if you wouldn't be this mean to them, if you wouldn't say like criticize them this way, then don't do it that way on social media. If you wouldn't talk about them in a private and gossip about them in the workplace and don't have private chats about them on social media, that's probably just what I would tell youth. Yeah. Just to keep, just to keep them aware of, of that. This is not different from how people, if like, just because you do it online, it doesn't matter. People are still viewing it as you and your behavior. And, and youth, youth need help with that. They need reminding, but so do adults. Well, we can move on to that one then. So you're, you're the founder and CEO of Skills Camp. Uh, you've worked with some of the biggest uh, or the world's biggest companies or largest companies through Skill, Skills Camp. Mm-hmm. What is Skills Camp? Uh, how mm-hmm. can it help? Is it for individuals or groups? And you mentioned earlier on with regards to uh, safe social as well. Yeah, so you've caught me at an interesting time because I, I suppose I now have two organizations and and they they kind of beautifully help each other. So the most recent one is called Safe Social. And of course that was born out of all of our conversation and all these years of work and finally having a place where I can send people to get all of the information and resources that we're discussing. So um, if you go to safesocialmedia.co, so safesocialmedia.co, that's where you'll find all of this, our news articles, you'll find free resources for educators, for parents, um, resources you can buy, merch, you'll find everything. So that's number two. And then Skills Camp is my, um, is, uh, my main, I guess, business, if you will. And that's a soft skills training company. So we do partner with a lot of organizations, a lot of higher ed institutions and governments to build soft skills in their staff and students. And that's skills like resilience, resourcefulness, emotional intelligence, public speaking, uh, that sort of stuff. And they, and it was kind of a beautiful thing of life because when I went into my master's, I was a bit worried that I had these two veering paths and that they weren't, they were kind of going in different directions. And 
when I got into the research, as I mentioned earlier, I, what I actually found was that you offline was ended up being the most important thing and you having skills like resilience to bounce back when things happen to you online or stress management or um, being able to manage your time. Mindfulness was a big one, confidence. So these ended up being the most important skills in determining whether or not people have a good time online and don't feel like they're wasting time. And then the sort of poetic thing of life was that I was already building the solution with Skills Camp. So now, um, step three of my five steps towards safe social is actually build the offline soft skills. And, um, and, and Skills Camp certainly has um, enabled me to get those resources out to people quicker, which is also downloadable on the website. So can I ask you just for biggest for our listeners who don't understand or they're not aware of what soft skills are, can you kind of expand yeah. on, on what, what soft skills are? Yep, I sure can. So I do get asked this question, but the funny thing with soft skills is like that's a even that's a hotly debated term. <laughs> like people are like, they're not they're not soft. They're the hardest skills to learn. And I'm like, I know. I know, but soft skills is the search term bringing people to my website. <laughs> so Soft skills, transferable skills, life skills, people skills, whatever you want to call them, they're, they're essentially the skills that characterize our relationship with ourselves and with others. And a lot of people will call them sort of people skills. So things like communication or um, how well do you uh, read a room or can you speak well, emotional intelligence, resourcefulness, um, lots more on the website. Your ability to handle stress, your ability to bounce back from stress. These are, these are soft skills. Again, you can see the debate because probably many people listening are thinking, well, those are the hardest ones for people to learn. <laughs> it's like, I know. <laughs> but you could put them on the right track. You know where to, exactly. to guide so what them we on the do, right track. Yeah, so what we do is we say, you know, of course, of course there's going to be people out there who are naturally already better public speakers by the time they get to the workforce, let's just say. Who knows why? Maybe they're... Maybe their family at a very young age put them in speech writing. Like maybe they were like performers. For me, I had a, maybe through life's circumstances, someone just happened to learn resilience and coping strategies earlier in life. And someone might say they're naturally more resilient, but in fact, you know, I had five sisters. Let me tell you, do they teach you about collaboration and resilience? Because they don't give an F about, no. about you know, your feel. So, so sure, sure, there are people whose, whose life circumstances might have afforded them more skills in one area or another, just like hard skills. But these are also things that you can absolutely break down and learn to apply different aspects of them you know public speaking you might not walk out of a one-hour workshop suddenly speaking like obama but you will learn strategies that you can use to immediately spruce up your delivery immediately spruce up the slides immediately have a new um format to put your talks in and you will practice and you will get feedback on you know do this do that here's here's you can take tactics from Obama and apply those tactics. You will not automatically leave a leadership workshop suddenly being the greatest leader without ever having led something, but you will understand more about, you know, personal leadership values. You'll understand how people have applied these in the best leaders. You'll have practiced something. You'll have, you'll be able to walk away and actually keep practicing these strategies. So it's kind of my side rant about when I do get asked, can soft skills be learned? Yes, they absolutely can. Anybody in your life who has ever become 
a better communicator or a team member was able to learn it. Well, it's very important in the aviation industry to have soft skills. So I think you probably have a lot of people getting in touch with you about this. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. for me personally, I was the, uh, the school uh, clown or the idiot mm-hmm. in the back of the class. So there's hope for everybody because I'm now speaking to uh, Bailey Parnell. So keep at it, guys. <laughs> keep motivating. Yeah, no and you might say that that was there. your, you know, you might say that was your grit and hard work and uh, that that is soft skill. So determination. <laughs> they always end happened. up coming back. Exactly. <laughs> so before we go, uh, Bailey, what advice can you provide to aviation professionals and those in other industries who may be experiencing difficulties with mental health and social media, especially like now, there's so much information mm-hmm. now, uh, you know, one day you hear this from one social media outlet, the next day is something else. What would you recommend? Well, first off, of course, I would recommend you watch the TED Talk and you go to safesocialmedia.co because my first step is is a building awareness and understanding. And so it is really important to, to listen to podcasts like these and to even know what we're talking about when we say a highlight reel or when we say, um, do you even understand how you react to social? So step two, also available on the website, is to moderate your own consumption. Have you even had a conversation with yourself at all about what you like in your feed? Why are you following this person? Do they bring any joy to your life? Having this real convo with yourself and designing your feeds accordingly. So I would recommend doing all that. And I would also say that a kind of funny thing about social media and mental health is that it is very much industry agnostic. And so even if you are a pilot or you're in the airline industry, this is an issue you do not need to talk to other pilots about. Everybody, let me tell you from firsthand experience all over the world now can relate to this issue. Every age will have an opinion on it. And if you want to share what you're going through because of social media, you don't need to talk to another pilot. You can just explain this idea of comparison or annoyance and other people will have their version of it. Excellent. I think it's, it's um, yeah, it's very important because I think that we're getting messages again and emails that, you know, what, what a lot of aviation professionals are seeing at the moment, they might see, say, their company is starting up again and they might see one mm-hmm. or two of their colleagues you know, on social media, promoting, you know, we're delighted, we're back flying, or, you know, we're, we're ready mm-hmm. for you to, to take it to your holiday destination. But then they're actually sitting at home. So they're finding that, I think, a little bit difficult because they're wondering, well, if they're flying, why aren't I? Or, you know, they're not working. But as you said yourself, it's a case. Yeah, that of- would be, a, that's a hard one too. I mean, this is a very extreme time. And, um, and the working thing, you know, if I would say, in these times, you really, it's when you especially need to do things like practice safe social, like think about your risky behaviors, because we wouldn't want you turning to harmful behaviors in these times, right? Yes. So, so if that's bothering you, I'd say now's the time to mute them. Now's the time to limit your exposure to the risky behavior if you're not having a positive time anymore. And I would say also, if you go to our social media. So it's um, on Instagram. We're at safesocialmedia.co. There's also a post there about how to practice safe social um, for if you're trying to fight for social change as well as for COVID. So there's some tips there. Thank you very much, Bailey, for joining me today. For more information, you can check out skillscamp.co and safesocialmedia.co. Thank you so much uh, for speaking to me today, Bailey. Thank you. Yeah, happy to. Thanks.